Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, is, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work For Him Zone. I hope you're never the same. You know, each day on the I Work For Him show, we focus on discussions that will challenge you to change the change the way you think about workplace and workplace ministry and your life in Christ and how they all intersect. That's what it's all about. And today we're talking day two, day two with attorney David Gibbs. Yesterday on the show, we talked about religious liberty in our workplaces. And today we're talking about religious liberty in our schools. And yes, the encouragement is if you hear nothing else, you have religious liberty available to you in your schools. You know, David, yesterday we talked on the show about so much. And before we get back into that, I, you, I, I quoted this verse, and it's because we're so it's so important that we recognize that each Christ follower out there recognizes that they are to be light in the darkness. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it can give light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your Father in heaven. David, you work in a very dark place. You're an attorney. Uh, and an attorney that is, uh, you know, you're fighting for liberty and life each and every day. How do you do it? Now, I just want to make sure I put the plug in. For National Center for Life and Liberty, Attorney David Gibbs, gives, I'm giving you that, I'm, I want to give you that plug, that's all. How do you do it? I mean, being an attorney and, and, and being a Christ-following attorney, those are loaded words in today's world. 
Absolutely. And, and Jim, you have to do what uh, David did. Um, back when things weren't going well, okay, um, his men were threatening to kill him. Uh, people had turned on him, his family and his goods had been taken away while they were out at battle. So they were doing good work, and then they basically watched all their blessing come under attack. And when his men were ready to turn on him, it said David encouraged himself in the Lord. And what that is, is a relationship with God himself, with Jesus Christ, has to be your core strength. Now, I hope everybody has good days. I hope you win your cases. I hope you prosper. I hope your businesses succeed. But, you know, you may have the bad days. You may get served the papers. You may find out, man, we're going bankrupt. You may find out, man, I worked real hard and the deal isn't going to go through. And, and you can turn around and say, well, my circumstances are a mess. People that live by their circumstances ride up and down. Their emotions and their circumstances dictate their happiness or their life. But the people that say, you know what, I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord, whether I'm doing well, whether I'm prospering, or whether I'm struggling, that lets them have a consistency, that lets them have a strength, and that lets them have a joy. And, and you know, a joy is not giddy, oh great, bad things have happened to me. But that's that internal strength that you understand nothing happens in my life that God does not first allow. And so that's where you can say, okay, Lord, you're teaching me something here. Yeah, I, I may not like the lesson. This may be a diploma. I'm not real excited to hang on the wall. But this is indeed a lesson that I am learning. And so that understanding that it's not what you do, and it's not even how you succeed. You know, I mean, a, a question, what's the most successful church in St. Petersburg? Well, people talk about the big ones. They'll talk about the rich ones. But the reality is we're just gauging how rich they are, how big they are. Success is in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord may look down and say, you know, the most successful church in that town only runs 30 people, but they're honoring me with their heart and spirit. And it's that relational moment, realizing that your value is not in what you do and certainly not in what you have. Those are tools. Those are resources that you can give back to him. But it's not just I work for him. The reality is you need to totally live for him. Amen to that. And and I judge the value of it, the impact that a church is or the, on how successful churches is on the impact they're making on their community. Absolutely, and that's and that's really how Jesus. Well, I believe Jesus measures it that way too. Because if your church is an impact in your community, why do you have a church? Well, and, and Jim, let's even go to Revelation where it says during Judgment Day, some of the first will be last, and some of the last will be first. And then Matthew seven, some people are going to say, "Hey, didn't I do some stuff for God?" And he's going to say, "You know, I never knew you." And so I do think we need to remember we are working for Him. And it's not, again, you're not going to be in heaven. He's going to go, wow, you had a healthy bank account. You had a nice IRA. You had a big business. You had a lot of people that thought you were hot stuff. The question is, did you work and live for him? And that really reorients your perspective. You know, I've done cases in litigation and fought and knew I was doing what was right. But you know what? Never get paid because it's a ministry case. Struggle hard. Maybe don't even see victory in the courtroom. But the reality is you say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. And I always remind folks, um, don't view your life in wins or losses. You've already won if you've trusted Jesus Christ. You're fighting not for victory. You're fighting in victory. And so grab that victorious spirit like Jim has and realize, hey, <laughs> I'm victorious already and I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to be that encourager. I'm going to let people in my workplace know. The reason why I smile may not be because of what's going on in my life. I smile because of my relationship with him. You know, yesterday in the show, we talked all about religious liberty in the workplace, and I'd love to get people, because you know, there are people tuning in today that missed yesterday's show, I'd love to give people a two-minute snapshot on what we talked about yesterday. And you talked very specific, well, I, I don't want to, I mean, 
You go ahead and take it. Take it from there. I'll just go quick. Um, number one, you have way more rights in the workplace than you realize. Business owners, you know, let your businesses speak loudly for Jesus Christ. Work for him, but broadcast him every which way. Employees, you have a lot more rights than you realize. If you're working in a government workplace, the Constitution protects you. If you're working in a large workplace, um, you have Title Seven and other laws that protect your rights. And I just encourage folks to look at the workplace as an opportunity where there are so many hours in a day. I mean, we're, we're generally at work way more than we're other places, even home or a church or other places. And so look at that opportunity to live your faith boldly. You can do it. And if you have any trouble, and if somebody says, well, I have a real specific question, um, our team at the NCLL, we're in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. We're in Dallas, Texas, Washington, D.C. We have attorneys that will take your calls, your questions, your comments, and we will answer them. We will let you know your rights, and we do that as a ministry. I know, Jim, uh, doing things as an attorney for free almost seems confusing. Confusing, but that's what we are called <laughs> of God to do. And so, folks, do have a question, ncll.org. But uh, the takeaway yesterday, and I, I think they can probably get a podcast or download it and listen to the broadcast that you put out, but the reality is you have way more rights than you may realize. What I learned more most about what yesterday's show, too, was that those rights were varied from the size of the company, those the super small companies to those 15 and under, those 15 and above, the religious companies, religious organizations, and then the government organizations, all of that was fascinating and how that was all different. So the people got to tune into yesterday's. They can download it. They can uh, go on to the, uh, the I Work For Him website and uh, just click on that link and they can listen to yesterday's show. Uh, there was a lot to learn there. But also you can go out to ncll.org National Center Center for Life and Liberty.org ncll.org You can find out more about what's going on and your rights and email them, text them, ask them questions. You can do whatever you want to do in order to get answers uh, but there's some there are there's hope out there you have way more liberty and freedom for your faith in the workplace than what you think absolutely and you know i tell folks um there are groups that say loudly we're out of the closet and lots of christians have climbed in it's time for the people of faith to get out of the closet and share their faith right, and today we're talking about religious liberty in our schools and yes you do have some both teachers and students i'm hoping we're going to talk about that in a minute but before it's time for our book highlight segment brought to you by karis christian books and gifts karis christian books and gifts have been part of the largo community for over 29 years located in the center of first baptist church on indian rocks Wow, I did it twice. First Baptist Church of Indian Rocks on Ulmerton Road in Largo. Their 2,400 square foot store is open to the public seven days a week. Check them out online at shopcaris.com. That's shop, C-H-A-R-I-S.com. Be the first person to call into the studio line today. 855-265-2929. 855-265-2929. And we will send you a copy of this book written by the attorney, David Gibbs. The book today is Making Sense of Religion in America's Public Schools. David, tell us about the book. Well, it's going to take all the facets of a public school. So it will take a student, it will take a teacher, it will take an outside group, it will take a parent. And we take all the cutting-edge law and we let people know what their rights are. So it's a book that can be a resource. It's a good read if you want to go through it, certainly if you're a public school administrator. But it's designed to be a very valuable tool where you can know, these are my rights as a parent. You know, Can I opt my child out of this um, teaching that I find objectionable? 
questionable. As a teacher, can I answer that question? As a student, can I hand out this material? And the answer oftentimes is yes, you do have rights. But we give you the law, we give you the background, and this book is updated with all the cutting-edge Supreme Court cases as well as the federal guidelines, the state guidelines. And so you can know that you do have rights and what is allowed, what is not allowed in America's public schools. And so this resource is a book that folks will enjoy, but it's a practical tool to help you stand up for your liberty in the schools of our land. I only got one copy to give away, so make sure you're the first caller, 855-265-2929, 855-265-2929. But remember, you need to read this book. Don't wait for the movie. All right, we're back with David Gibbs in the studio. That's right. Attorney David Gibbs with the National Center for Life and Liberty talking today about religious liberty in our schools. If you missed yesterday's show, we talked all about religious liberty in our workplaces, and we're not going to talk about that anymore because we're going to take these next 45 minutes and talk about religious liberty in our schools because, David, you said the most encouraging thing as we closed out the show yesterday is that we still have some. Absolutely we do. And uh, when you look at our schools, and and we're talking government schools, obviously there's private schools, some people choose to home educate, but we're talking America's public schools, is you have the protection of the Constitution to not have your rights taken away. And it really varies as to your role in a public school. So let's start with the most obvious person, and interestingly, the most protected person, which is the student. Students have unbelievable rights in America's public schools. Now, they have free speech, they have freedom of religion, but the reality is students can do just about anything as long, and this is the standard, it's not disruptive. So if a teacher says, you know, what's two plus two, and a kid raises his hand and says, you know, Jesus saves, well, that's being disruptive. It's wrong time and place. You're not being respectful to the teacher, and you're disturbing the other students. But as long as your actions are not deemed disruptive, it is illegal, it is unconstitutional for the schools to stop student-initiated, student-led speech, prayers, assignments. Students have this unbelievable litany of rights in the public schools. And sometimes people hear the word, you know, the separation of church and state, which means almost the elimination of God from government, which means, you know, keep the Bible, keep prayer, just leave it on the schoolhouse steps and don't even think about it. The reality is that is misinformation. That's liberal propaganda. It's lies. It's not true. Students well, yeah, have you got to go back and say that all over again, because people need to hear that. Say that all again. That was fantastic. People need to hear that. Listen. Stop what you're doing, except if you're driving. Stop what you're doing and listen to Attorney David Gibbs, what he's got to say. And even if you're driving, listen carefully. Yeah, okay? but just don't stop what you're doing. The liberal propaganda, the lies, the misinformation, there are groups in this country that want to eradicate any form of Bible, prayer, religious teaching or practice in the public schools. That is not legally required. Matter of fact, the reverse is true. 
for a public school to force students to leave their faith on the schoolhouse steps is a violation of the Constitution that could subject them to lawsuits. So students are free, for example, to pray. Uh, They're free to bring their Bibles. They can give out tracts, religious materials. They can include religious themes. They can um, do, they can be excused for religious holidays. They don't have to participate in things that violate their faith. Just to name a few, Jim, students have this incredible litany of protected constitutional rights where they are free to speak, they're free to worship, they're free to make sure that their faith is not violated. Now, for these student rights to be protected, you and I both know what needs to happen. Some parents need to wake up and pay attention, and some school administrators need to get some good information in their hands. And once you have parents that are involved and school administrators that understand what the law is, student rights can be protected and they should be protected in America's public schools. Hmm. You hear a lot of stories of students who are being subjected to uh, how just really I don't know they're I don't even call them activist teachers or just teachers that are like hostile yeah. anti-religious bigots people that are going to sit there and say you know what you're not going to have your bible because it upsets me and you're not going to share your faith and they're mean and, and they're people of authority they're positions of trust they're teachers right. okay and, and by the way you know they're, they're going to sit there and run a kid out with a bible but all these teachers are going to jail for having illicit relationship with their students i mean there does seem to be a, a moral inconsistency i don't know we're not allowed to talk about that you know it's yeah exactly that's exactly the point hey get the bible out of here but it's okay Okay, look at all the other stuff that's come in. I mean, yeah, it's just I mean, crazy. Yeah, the the immorality and the lack of character and the lack of values. And and sadly, let me let me tell you one thing. And and I, I this is preaching a little bit. Let me hit it. A lot of schools are beginning to adopt a we're not going to guide the students. We're just going to let the students kind of do their own thing. And the problem with that is we're seeing a generation now that is experimenting with things that is dangerous and hurtful, and and they're prematurely sexualizing these children. And so we're watching some very scary trends in the public schools. So it's more important than ever that teachers, administrators, and others understand these students do have religious rights. And a lot of these students are going to have to not just witness to their teachers, but to their classmates, because the system itself is not really advocating for a character-based or a principle-based approach to learning or life. Well, you can't push a a principle-based or a character-based approach to life without God as a basis. There's no point in morality if God doesn't exist. Well, you're making the the whole Christian worldview. I know that's a deep word, and people go, whoa, that's going to glaze me over. But really, what is it? (laughs) We just basically believe there is a God. Okay, and people say, yeah, I think there's a God. Okay, number two, did he reveal himself? And we as Christians believe he did in his son, Jesus Christ, and in his word, the Bible. And with those basic tenets, guess what? You have a Christian worldview, but you jump over to what many in education would believe. Well, maybe there's a God, maybe there's not. But he hasn't really revealed himself. Jesus was just a nice guy, and the Bible's just kind of an interesting old book. And they don't want to look at that as the revealed word or son of God. And you look at evolution, you look at New Age teaching, you look at uh, you know all the sexual perversity being acceptable in today's world, and you end up with the worldview chaos that we have in our public schools. I mean, California passes a law 
any kid from kindergarten to the 12th grade can uh, decide whether they're a boy or a girl any given day. Any given day. Just with that declaration. Okay, I'm going to be... Gender identity, I believe is what they called it. It's your gender identity right. And by the way, you can dress in the opposite clothes. You go on the sports teams. Your name can change. We don't need the parents to approve this. We certainly don't need doctors or psychiatrists to approve this. We're just going to let the children decide for themselves. There is no question as a you know a, a god created young man if i had been in high school and i had the opportunity to conveniently change my gender to female so i could go in the girls locker room this before i came to christ i would have conveniently done that yeah you mean you would have been naughty and manipulated the system but you know what they're okay with that because you know what they say your gender identity you need to Find out whether you're comfortable with your femaleness. And, and and if you're not, you can change back. And I mean, even some of these schools are now advocating, you know, don't even refer to gender. We're not going to have boys or girls. We're just going to have colors. We're going to have our greens. We're going to have our blues. We're going to have our animals. You know, you're going to be giraffes. You're going to be elephants. We're not even going to refer to anybody in a he or she because that might make them feel uncomfortable. And that's the bizarre. And let me just be honest, Jim. It's defiance against God himself. Absolutely. I don't even want to be the way God made me. My gender that was given to me by God, I'm not even going to recognize that. And it's the ultimate uh, thumbing our nose at God and just saying we will be whatever we want to be. We're going to do what's right in our own eyes. And it's heartbreaking. Well, what we need to do is we need to encourage these people. And I hate to say I just said these people. I didn't mean to do that. But listen. Christians, instead of arguing morality with people who have no basis for morality, we need to let them know who God is. We need to let them know that there is a God. And here's how he's made an impact on my life. We need, with these young kids, we need to start broaching the facts that God is relevant to every part of their lives, and but we have to start doing that practically instead of arguing that their lifestyle is wrong. Because to somebody who doesn't recognize that the God of the Bible exists... Abortion isn't wrong, and and homosexuality isn't wrong, and adultery isn't wrong, and racism isn't wrong. You know, that's fact. But if the God of the Bible exists, then that stuff is wrong. But, you know, God loves them deeply where they're at before they become Christ followers. And that's where Christians have it so wrong, is they keep, they judge all these people expecting them to live moral behavior before they come to Christ. But God loved us before. I mean, he loved us, and Christ died for us before we were even alive. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what the scriptures say. Well, and Jim, you're talking about the incredible grace of God. And I I think we need to recognize grace takes somebody where they're at. Now, love will, after God has won them, help take them to their full potential, let them be who they could be. But grace is not judging them now. Now, when we come back, we're gonna. I want to talk about some very specific examples, some court cases where kids have done things, they were legal, and the courts ruled in their favor. So, David, you're saying that we have, kids have, I love the way you put it, students have unbelievable rights as long as it's not disruptive in That's the classroom. Right. Absolutely. So, and they can share their faith. They can witness. They can bring their Bibles. They can pray. They can talk. They can do religious subjects in the curriculum as long as, again, it's appropriate. They can't be disruptive. So if the if the teacher says, read this book, and the kid says, no, I'm going to read my Bible, well, that's being disobedient. So as long as they're not disrupting, uh, if they are allowed to wear message T-shirts, again, they can wear things that would show their faith or show their beliefs in life or other things that they believe are important. Uh, if kids are allowed to gather for anything. The, the religious rights of the students are 
protected. And the Supreme Court has said that if you show hostility, like, okay, we're going to let you do all this stuff. You know, you can have these clubs, you can have a football team, but you can't have a prayer club or you can't have a Bible club. Um, that is hostility towards religion and is a violation of the Constitution and could actually subject that school to money damages for abridging the rights of the students. So very important to remember. Now, it has to be the students. And, you know, I think that's where parents and pastors and others can be encouraging the young people. Um, like you do in the workplace, Jim, you encourage people to think about, hey, let's be intentional, let's be deliberate. Well, maybe a kid going to 7th grade, maybe a kid going to 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, or elementary school, um, maybe their parents or their pastor could encourage them, their youth pastor, to be deliberate, to be intentional, to look at this opportunity to share your faith, and also to be alert, because uh, there is going to be some teaching. Uh, we do know our public schools, for example, will uh, push um, sexual experimentation and gender identity and evolution and some new age things, and um, they're going to treat Jesus as a, a regular guy, not as the Son of God, and so we need to be aware that our children are going to be in the public schools exposed to some things that would be inconsistent with the faith, but use that as an opportunity to train them, to alert them, and to work in such a way that they say, hey, I have a chance to be salt and light. I can shine bright for Jesus in my schoolhouse. Then it becomes a pattern. They go to college if they go on, or they go in the workplace, and it becomes a life identity because they did that in school, and it will follow them through their career. Uh, and that that was exactly I was hoping you were going to go there and you did go there because if we train up our kids to be bold in their faith and again we're, we all have to realize that being bold in your faith does not mean smacking people over the head with the Bible because that doesn't reach people for Christ that's not what Christ did Christ met the needs of people then touched their hearts yes and, and that's what we need to do we need to be loving our neighbors as ourselves in a selfless manner that's what speaks and gives us an opportunity to explain why we're doing those things now David you wrote a fantastic book, Making Sense of Religion in America's Public Schools, and we're giving away a copy of that today, and if it, and if it gets given away too fast and you don't get called in, they can get a copy of that book where? Well, they can go electronically. We're in the ebook world, so Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, all those places oh, have it. I should have told you you can't say Amazon on my show. Okay, I apologize. Tell my wife you're sorry. Any, uh, I'm sorry. Or they can go to her <laughs> bookstore, or they can go anywhere else, but they can also contact our office, NCAA, if they want a hard copy. So there's a a lot of ways to get the book, but most importantly, we want the information and the message of it to get out. And Jim, you make a huge point. You know, if I go to court and I walk in and say, Judge, you're an idiot if you don't see it my way. You know what I just did? I just made the judge mad. My client would be like, hey, slow down. Come on over here, attorney. You're arguing rather badly. Don't don't call the judge names. Don't tick people off. we got to like present the case. But, you know, if I go in and I steal the other side's argument, I say, judge, the other side's going to tell you this. They're going to tell you this. And, by the way, this third point they're going to tell you is really powerful. But let me share with you why I think, and now I advocate why my side's a little better. What happens when the other guy gets up? He's going to go, well, Mr. Gibbs is right about number one. He's right about number two. He's really right about number three. And you know what the judge is hearing over and over again oh hey mr gibbs is right well maybe then he might lean my way on number four now i might win or lose the case but at least jim i have as an attorney been an effective advocate and i think sometimes people need to realize when they are sharing their faith that it's important that they realize they're an advocate for jesus christ so don't go in with the 
my way or the highway, or if you don't agree with me, you're a moron, because you can just turn people off. They're not going to listen to you. And, you know, again, there was maybe a day culturally, you know, people could stand on a street corner and just yell, and maybe folks would gather around. But it's a different world. We're in an internet world. We're in a social media world. We're in a relationship world. People are starving for relationships. So yes, they are. build those relationships. Like you said, do the good works. Let them see that you have heart and concern and that you're the real deal, and then they will be willing to listen to you. And again, Jim, I love your energy. I love your spirit. I love what you're doing with your program here. But folks need to um, think about it. It needs to be intentional. And if you just get up in the morning, it's just all about the job and sludging through, and you eat the same food and watch the same TV and go to bed, uh, you're in a pretty bad rut. Okay, the reality is life for you has just fallen into a routine where you're not doing anything for Jesus day after day. And your life, you will look back and say, well, I didn't get a whole lot done. But the reality is you say today, how can I impact the kingdom? Who could I reach? Who am I praying for? Uh, what am I going to do for God today? You know, maybe turn the TV off for 30 minutes and pray. Just turn the TV off permanently. Well, I mean, you know, the reality is, I mean, people will watch 30 minutes of television and they'll go, I don't even like that. That wasn't entertaining. It was silly. I mean, there's so much garbage out there. They just, 30 minutes like that, gone. But if you say the typical Christian, did you pray 30 minutes this week? Well, no, I don't have time for that. Well, did you share Christ? Well, I don't have time for that. Did well, you did read you... your Bible? Yeah. No, I don't have time for that. Yeah, no, yeah we're, we're all too busy, but we can watch reality TV. And that's a sad, sad, sad commentary. All right, I want to give people specifics on things that their kids can do to be bold in their faith without being disruptive in the classroom. And then I want to talk about teachers' religious liberty and what they've got available to them. So what are some specific things that kids can do to be bold for their faith for Christ, but not be disruptive. Well, they can pray, okay? They can do that alone, or they can do it in groups with their friends. They can bring their Bibles. They can read their Bibles during free reading time, study halls. Uh, they can give tracts or gospel material or even Bibles to their friends, um, as long as, again, it's not disruptive. Uh, they can include religious themes in their assignments. They can um, be excused from school for religious holidays or important religious occasions if they have that faith. Uh, they don't have to participate. This is a big one, Jim, in classroom lessons or activities that violate their religious beliefs. They can wear religious messages on their clothing. Again, if it's allowed, if it's an all-uniform school, then you have to comply. But as long as you have that choice. So let's, I want to hit on that one because a lot of kids are wearing T-shirts. So if the school allows shirts with a message, then they can wear one with a message about Christ. But if the schools don't allow a, a shirt with a message on any kind of message, then that it's not allowed. That's correct. And again, shirts sometimes, and I just want to let folks know this, disruption can sometimes be in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Like some schools will say you can wear anything you want, but no liquor on your shirts. You can't wear a, you know, a beer brand or something. And, and that's been upheld as acceptable. And sometimes if you have what might be deemed as graphic or gory, sometimes somebody says, you know, here's what an aborted fetus looks like. It's kind of gross. Um, schools have been able to say, you know what, that's a little over the top. But as long as we would call it non-disruptive, the shirt is not going to draw so much attention that people are going to be sick. Um, you're allowed to do it but your free speech, your freedom of religion, you have every right. And simple messages, you know, Jesus loves, God is loved, Jesus saves, your church, I'm part of this youth group, all of those kinds of things, 100% protected. If the school were to say, no, you can't wear your, you know, your Baptist church 
shirt, uh, that would be overt discrimination. That would be hostility towards religion, and that would absolutely be illegal and unconstitutional. I think one of the things that Christians really struggle with is this out-and-out hostility towards people who don't have a moral basis. And I think that's something we really need to emphasize today. Because, again, we're, we're trying to give ourselves an opportunity for a conversation with people, not to have an argument with people. Because you can't argue anybody into heaven. You know, you're trying to give an opportunity to create relationship with people. So then you have an opportunity to share how Christ has made an impact in your life. That's what this is all about. You're not trying to... I don't know what the, maybe I'm not saying it right, but the whole idea behind using a t-shirt or bringing your Bible is to create an opportunity for a conversation so you can create relationship. Well, and to also get people's minds even in that mode to consider the conversation. I mean, if you just walk into a place and there's nothing at all that would indicate that you're a follower of Christ, somebody may not ask you a question or even look at it or you may not be able to open up and talk about it but if you're wearing a message shirt and somebody says oh hey i i know that church or hey what's that mean what, what does it mean i i work for him you know and all of a sudden you're able to then say oh well let me explain that and it gives you an opportunity so it gets people's minds in that mode now you should be looking to create those opportunities but for young people uh, it's good training you know, and it lets them. And by the way, um, sometimes public schools will have things where children say, well, this isn't modest or this is a violation of my faith. They have religious rights to uh, wear clothes that are appropriate with what their parents believe, what they believe. And so young people in our public schools, Jim, have way more rights than people realize. And there's been this propaganda. There's been this misinformation. There's been this liberal Lies. I mean, we're going to allow kids to, you know, get birth control at age 11, to sexually experiment. That's okay. But God forbid they bring a Bible. That's not going to be allowed. The reality is the Bible is allowed. It needs to be there. And young people have a protected constitutional right to live and share their faith in the public schools. All right. When we come back, I want to really talk about those rights that the teachers have in the classroom. And they've got some. And we're going to talk about it. And that's exciting to me because I know a lot of teachers are going, I'm in a public school, I can't do anything. Well, they're scared. And the reality is that misinformation campaign, it's lying to them, too. Well, and there's misinformation. That's if the one thing the media complex has really gotten good at. And, and George Orwell, how do you know this stuff? But the, the, the misinformation campaign against Christianity is fantastic. And we need to change that. And there is a huge opportunity for for information instead of misinformation. This is powerful information, and you need to be equipped. There is so much information. We're not getting it all out today, but you can go onto the website, ncll.org. That's N as in Nancy, C-L-L.org. All right, David, so I don't take any more time with all that stuff. Let's get talking about the religious liberty available to our teachers in the workplace. Now, teachers need to understand a couple of things. They are working for the government, okay? And so their free speech rights depend on who they're talking to. And the rule that a lot of teachers are scared of is as a teacher, you cannot use your government position to overtly advance or proselytize your religion. And so that's why teachers are like, well, I don't want to say anything in the classroom. I want to be careful. 
But I tell teachers, you have an absolute right. Matter of fact, you have a duty uh, to discuss religion and things in the schools to educate your students. And you have an absolute right to answer questions. And good teachers are able to get students involved in the discussion. And so teachers can talk with their students, share with their students. They just can't preach at their students while they are in the government employ in the classroom. Now, who else do teachers talk to? Parents. Okay, those are adults. You have absolutely every right to say, hey, here's a book I have that's good on workplace. Here's a book I have that's good on finances. Here's a book I have that helped me. Oh, by the way, here's some parent training that our church is having. You might want this. So realize when you're meeting with parents, you have an absolute right. And then coworkers, you have a completely constitutionally protected right. So when you're in the teacher's lounge, when you're there with the administrators, when you're there with the board, um, you have an absolute right to share your faith with your coworkers, to invite them to church, to bring your Bible, uh, to witness to them. You can lead them to Christ in the public school lounge if you want to. That is your complete right. So teachers have to evaluate, who am I talking to? Okay, if I'm standing up in the classroom, got to be a little creative. I have to let the kids engage in the dialogue. Give an example of that creativity. I hate interrupting, but I want to make sure I stop because... Practical stuff is what this show is about. Give me a practical example of, of something a teacher can legally say as she's teaching. He All or right, she is well, teaching. let's take a real practical. Um, we watch a terrorist chop someone's head off. Obviously, if you have a young kid, you don't want to scare them half to death, but a, a older kids. Where does somebody go after they die? All right, let's have a conversation. Let the kids dialogue a little bit. What do what do different religions believe? What what do the Muslims believe happens after you die? What do the Jewish people believe happens after you die? What does the Christian people think happen after you die? What do you think happens? What's an atheist think? Um, you know, and and get them involved in the discussion, and a hundred percent legal, a hundred percent appropriate. And a teacher can guide them in that conversation very easily. Okay, let's talk about morality. You know, should we be ending the life of the elderly? Is it right to, you know, if somebody lives to age 75, should we just say, you know what, they're done, let's just kill them. You know, whether they're healthy or not, or whether they are sick or not, we're just going to end life. Should should all the elderly go away? You know, get a discussion going. Have the kids dialoguing on that. And so you have opportunities to get them. Really, what we need in America is more critical thinking. You know, I mean, we, we don't need these robotic children that are like just, you know, they, they can play video games real well. They know how to text, but they've never really been taught to think. Used to be reporters were in charge of the critical thinking and the challenging of what was going on in society. Now everybody's a reporter because of the Internet, but right. they don't think. They right. just throw out, a lot of times, misinformation right. or confusion, or they just slide to the lowest common denominator. Well, I heard, you know, the Bible shouldn't even be in school. That's terrible. Okay, where'd that come from? Well, that's just misinformation that's just sliding out, and people are passing that along. Uh, It's not constitutional. It's not required. And so what I like to tell teachers, I kind of view you like missionaries. You're working in the public schools. You're sitting there. We have 50 million children in our public schools across the nation. And um, you have the opportunity to influence the next generation. And, And by the way, they are being influenced. I mean, they're, they're giving them the sex education, they're giving them the birth control, they're giving them all the misinformation, all the media spin, it's getting into their heads. So teachers, you're there, let's counter the culture a little bit, let's give them some character, let's give them some Christianity, let's give them some Bible, just do it smartly. Um, don't stand up in front of your classroom and say, you know, kids, you all have to kneel and pray, or you would then be accused of potentially um, using your position as a government employee to proselytize, to advocate your religion. But as long as it's a good dialogue, kids are involved, and by the way, teachers have every right to answer questions. 
So get the students to ask you. And if you can say, hey, look, um, you know, we're going to dismiss for class, but maybe we've got more questions on this, I'll be at my desk. Let them come dialogue. Good teachers get involved in the lives of their students, and good teachers get involved in the lives of their students' parents, and good teachers get along with their colleagues. And you know what? A good Christian can live their faith. They can do it in the public schools. Now, is it going to be like working for the local church? No. Okay, because those are pastors, ministers. They're encouraged. That's what they get to do full-time all the time with no limits. You have to be a little smarter about it, but you also have the government writing you a paycheck and giving you benefits, so you have to realize this is where I'm at. This is my Jerusalem. This is where I'm called to be. Uh, But you have a lot more liberty than you may realize. All right, so you said you wanted to also talk about rights that parents have to influence the school. I mean, the people, other as volunteers, how, what kind of rights do they have? Well, number one, let me throw a couple things out. Parents have the right to opt their kids out of objectionable material. So if you say, man, I hate it. My kid's getting the stuff that violates my faith. Well, tell them you want them out. They have a duty to get it out of there. And so you have opt-out rights. You also have the right to be involved. You have the right to information so parents can get involved. You also have the right oftentimes to go on campus and you can minister to your kid. You can eat lunch with your kid. You can be around their friends. You can be involved in different things. Now, some schools in our safe school world, you know, sometimes they're banning outside volunteers. So there may be a process where you have to get certified or approved just to make sure that you're not a a safety risk. You know, they they don't want... um, you know, dangerous people to be able to be around the kids. But as long as the school has a program where outside people can come in, it's an opportunity for you as a mom or a dad or even a pastor or a youth pastor uh, to come in. You can talk in the Bible clubs. You can be a, a, a volunteer coach. You can do things to help make a difference in the lives of these young people. And there's really a huge mission field. They're just waiting. A lot of public schools are dying for volunteers. And they're looking for people that say, you know what, I'm willing to invest in the next generation. And so even some Senior adults here in the great state of Florida, there's some folks that still got some health and energy, but you know, they're just not quite sure what to do. You know what? You could go over to the local public school, you could be a blessing to the school and certainly be a blessing to the students. And those are protected rights for you to answer questions, to share, to be that influence, to be that salt and light that we're all commanded to be. We've got uh, 150 people from our church, varying ages, being mentors at local elementary schools. That's phenomenal. And, and by the way, and the church was, uh, the schools were begging for them. Mentoring, two tutoring, teacher's aides, helping, uh, even cleaning the facilities. I mean, be a blessing, uh, be involved, help to be the sales at a ball game. I mean, again, different programs, and I'm saying you have to work with the school. You don't have a right. You can't demand, I'm going to come in and do this. But offer yourself, and you'll be amazed how God will open doors, and then be smart about it. You know, don't, don't again, run around the Bible, start thumping kids over the head, or they're going to ask you to leave, because you're going to be viewed as creating too much trouble. But if you are respected and do a good job, you will have phenomenal opportunities to touch the heart and mind of the next generation. And by the way, churches can do it. You're right. Churches can mentor. Nonprofit organizations can do it. Jim, I think if people would look at our public schools and say, you know what, they need the help. I'm willing to give of myself. There is great opportunity to be the salt and light we're all commanded to be. Mm, that's for sure. All right, we've coming, we're coming to the end of another I Work For Him show. Tomorrow's show, we've got future author and entrepreneur Robert Smith. He'll be joining me as we talk about Christ-centered hiring in the workplace and how to be hired. Uh, Robert and I have spent a lot of time hiring people over the last several years, and we want to just share from our experiences so you can learn how to better be hired and also some ideas on how to introduce 
introduce your faith to your prospective hirees. You know, the I Work For Him show is all about purposefully equipping vibrantly effective Christ followers in a workplace, so you got to ask yourself, are you a Christ follower? Have you ever come to a place in your life where you've allowed Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life? And if you want to know more about becoming a Christ follower, email me, jim at iworkforhim.com, jim at iworkforhim.com. You're listening to the I Work For Him show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower who owns my own business, but ultimately, I work for him.